You know, uh, I feel like Cosmo and Don have a real like uh, Rick Dalton and Clint Cliff Booth thing going oh, on yeah. in this movie. For sure. Definitely. Right? For sure. Yeah. I mean, look, I know recency bias is at play, but... He's carrying uh, his load. Yeah, I mean, well, they've got the kind of a similar dynamic. Like, uh, Cosmo dunks on Don yeah. a lot. Like, yes. That's kind of their whole thing, and that's it's the, the, the Cliff and uh, Rick thing. Behind every strong leading man, there's a strong... <laughs> stunt double slash choreography slash music writer <laughs> and then sometimes they are all just gene kelly <laughs> yes well hello everybody and welcome back to the good trash honor cast that's we what are, the show's called yes yeah, i'm not i'm just not on target today uh but i'm so glad to be here with you guys uh talking about the movies we ordinarily would not discuss in film studies class if we were doing the things we normally do however we're not we're an anti-trash January, and we are continuing with our theme of 20s, and uh, Arthur, tell the dear listener again, what's the 20 connection here to Singing in the Rain? Singing in the Rain, coming in at number 20 on the Sight and Sound, uh, top uh, best movies of all time list that they do every so few years. I think 2012 was the last one. Mm-hmm. Uh, every 10 years, right? Isn't that when they do it? Seems like 10 is right. So, the last time it, they ran the survey, uh, Singing in the Rain came in at number 20 on that list. It's uh, sitting pretty at number five on the AFI list right now, which is a lot higher. Uh, well, it's a smaller high? pool. Too high. I think it's maybe a little high. We'll talk about it. I think Singing in the Rain used to be a lot higher on the Sight and Sound list as well. I think well. it did too. I think it was too, at number yeah. four or so uh-huh. when it dropped. Well, that's the list in which uh, Citizen Kane was supplanted by Vertigo. Yes. So, I mean, th- there's some shifting around that always happens with those movies. Yeah. Very true. Uh, it's also set in the 20s, which is fun. We've already covered a film from the 1920s on this marathon, but it's it's fun to uh, yeah, get to watch a period piece set in that time. Yeah. Um, so if you're tuning in for the very first time to the show, we want to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show, and that does mean we're going to spoil things. And uh, yes, they will put on a show. And uh, because people sing in the rain, there's it rules. There's rain. There is singing, and uh, it's a thing that occurs throughout the film. But we will generally kind of keep our spoilage uh, towards the back half of the show. It looks like this synopsis, uh, and then our thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which are very gentle. Uh, the gentle cycle, if you will. In terms of spoilerage. And then uh, more your normal cycle of your wash uh, when we get into our expanding the syllabus might uh, expose some of those particular uh, spoilers. And then we're running it on sanitary cycle when we get down to the analysis. And it's very, very rough on your clothes and very, very rough on your spoilers. I don't know why. What with that metaphor? No, this is. I'm loving this. It just it just happened. Yeah, in no, my this head rules. As I was speaking. Yeah, no. So uh, it's, it's working out real well for you, bud. Um, so there you go. So um, your delicates are about to come out <laughs> here in just a moment. <laughs> wow, uh, Arthur, tell us what happens in this little movie, won't you, sir? Uh, 1927 Hollywood. Lockwood and Lamont are one of the biggest pairings of the silent era. After the opening of their newest movie, The Royal Rascal, Tinseltown gets turned on its side by the arrival of sound sinking technology, paving the way for talkies. Everyone dismisses it as a joke until the jazz singer blows up. After the success of the jazz singer, producer R.F. Simpson tries to find a way to make Lockwood and Lamont's next picture a singing and dance number. But there's just one little problem. Lena Lamont's shrill voice. But the arrival... But I can't stand him. ...of a young, up-and-coming ingenue might be the answer to their prayers. Listed at number 20 on Sight and Sound's 2012 list of best movies and coming in on the AFI Top 100, this is Singing in the Rain. There you go, dear listener. That is the movie. That's what we're talking about now. Um, were there any Virgin viewers this week? I, oh, me as Arth- well. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, um, eeny, meeny, money, Arthur. Uh, you get to go first. Um, yeah, you programmed this bad boy. So, yeah, it's your fault. So you tell us what's your reaction to experiencing singing in the rain for the first time. Singing. No, no extra G there. Singing. singing. Apostrophe. In the rain. In the rain. It's a lot of fun. 
Ah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, what are their names? Uh, Gene Kelly and his friend. Um, uh, we just said his name like 40 times. Cosmo. Cosmo. Yeah. Uh, Cosmo is such a delight. It's such a treat. Uh, probably the... Robert Donnan. Is the standout in this movie. It's actually um, Donald O'Connor, but... Don- Donald O'Connor. What was I thinking of? I don't know. Somebody I don't else. Know. Is that the director? Nah, I don't know. Stanley nope. Donnan? Stanley Donnan is the director. Oh, yeah. that's... Yeah. yeah. Or the co-director. Co-director. Uh, with Gene enough. Kelly. Yeah. I'm conflating yep. all my names. That's all right. It's a Monday. Uh, this is the first Gene Kelly movie I think I've seen. Me too, yeah. Uh, and so that was a lot of fun. Uh, just... Dancing, uh, the choreography is phenomenal. Uh, all of the dance numbers, the good morning, uh, the one that Cosmo has. Make uh, him laugh. Yeah, it's just a delight. Um, I'm a sucker for these types of movies. I mean, and as we know, Hollywood is as well. Um, really interesting to me, though, you know, we're recording on the week of the Oscar nominations, big talk about snubs, all that fun stuff. Uh, it's really interesting to learn this is one of those movies that didn't perform well on release. It got two Oscar nominations, one for supporting actress for uh, Lena's character. Uh, the actress uh, portrays Lena. Gene Hagen got a nomination. For yeah, this movie? Hell supporting yeah. actress nomination. That deservedly Good, she so. Rules in this movie. Yeah, she's she's a blast, right? She's uh, and it, it goes to show. I mean, uh, one of the things I found out is at the end when uh, when she, her character Lena is singing in the movie, that's actually Gene's uh, voice that they're using. Uh, yeah. which is a fun little thing to to see and kind of juxtaposes that against her performance. Yeah, even in the the scenes where they're having uh, Debbie Reynolds' character uh, sync, it's not just singing. It's also like the speaking yeah. voice, too. It's just, yeah, it's, it's really cool. It's very cool. Um, uh, so uh, she's great. Gene Kelly's great. Uh, Cosmo's great. Uh, Debbie Reynolds, 19-year-old Debbie Reynolds. Uh, oh, yeah. This was her breakout. You know, she'd only done four or five performances before this, and this was a really breakout moment for her. Um, and they just handle it with such class and it's really fun to see this uh, movie that was pretty well ignored i think at the time uh becomes so iconic and, and such a memorable uh piece of film history and and american cinema and kind of reinforces that idea that you know the oscars really aren't a benchmark for for what time will will hold up and so it's it's always funny to talk about snubs but this is another you know prime example of a movie just surpassing all of that and living on yeah. when you know the greatest show on earth no one talks about that movie it's probably not on any of those lists no. um, but this is and so uh, i i liked it a lot it's a lot a lot funnier than i was anticipating uh just uh mile a minute with the jokes oh yeah i i, I knew it was about the advent of sound but i wasn't thinking about it being in 1927 against the jazz singer and um, we had recently went to new york and to the museum of the moving image and they were doing like a, a little this play about the advent of sound and they were showing a clip of uh, the jazz singer. Oh. Uh, so that was kind of a fun referential point there that when we were watching it, we we're like, Oh, we just kind of learned about this and saw this, you know? Um, it's fun. I, I think it does a good job of handling that transition because it was a really weird period for Hollywood and it romanticizes it, you know, quite a bit uh, in, in the world, you know, in this world, Lena would have probably gone on to become a forgotten actress. And, mm-hmm. you know, she would be the performer in Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. Everybody's like, oh, Lena Lockwood? That that old crazy lady? You know? Um, and so those those kind of elements of it are quite romanticized and, and played for laughs. But I, I think it works really well. I think that kind of bookend uh, of opening them on stage, giving applause, and then her coming back to that and being her downfall where she finally gets to talk in front of the audience is a good little arc through the movie. Um, yeah, it's a blast. Uh, I, I do think, you know, the one real downfall for me is we talked about it off where is the, the 13 minute, uh, surreal kind of dance number 
Yeah, uh, Broadway Melody. Ooh. It, which is it's great. It's a great sequence. Uh, just beautiful. Sid Charisse is fantastic there in the dual roles, um, and uh, I I do think it does kind of stop the momentum of the film though. And you're like, come on, let's just get back to the narrative. Where were we? Um, that being said, it, it really comes together well outside of that. Uh, just a lot of fun. Just I, I, I had a good time watching it, and I would have a good time watching it again and again. I, I, I think uh, just we forget how impressive choreography and dance can be because we just don't really see it anymore. And it is a really impressive feat. I mean, it's we talked Kung Fu and martial arts last week, and I think this is right up there with that kind of... Uh, synchronization and, and you know everybody's got to be on on point to, to hit their marks and you know uh, Debbie Reynolds came from more of an acrobatic background and for her to kind of struggle with this and Kelly would get angry with her yeah, and notoriously and, monstrous yeah and so for her to actually start landing and nailing these parts I'm sure was a very proudful moment for her and she earns it I think so yeah I, I really dig it very good very good well what do you think Dalton the other virgin viewer I like it. Uh, I have I have reservations and caveats, but I, overall, I'm I'm yeah. a big fan. Uh, I'm realizing I, I really like movies about films and filmmaking. I really don't like movies about Hollywood uh, that aren't called Mulholland Drive uh, or, <laughs> or, or or are in that vein. Like I'll take a Poison Valentine to Hollywood because yeah. like I like I like cinema and from America. Hollywood is a, a fascination for me, even when it frustrates and uh, infuriates me. Uh, but there is. You know, a little bit of that, uh, and again, I, I think in its best moment, Singing in the Rain does kind of take that Hollywood dream idea to task, uh, but it does, in the end, become overwhelmingly uh, lavishing of praise on, mm -hmm. on this myth that Hollywood makes for itself. Um, and we'll get probably get more into this in analysis, but I, that's kind of my big uh, off-the-top thing. Uh, but, but there is something kind of fun about that because I guess this movie is just chock a block full of like uh, references to the 1920s, specifically 1920s Hollywood. Uh, and just again, it's a very clear time in people's minds when this is coming out. Uh, I don't, these Easter eggs are lost on me, but, but apparently there's tons. And I, I think it's fun to, to watch this movie knowing that it has those things and knowing that there's beats that are clearly like supposed to be some there's a moment of recognition i'm supposed to be having uh and not having that's fun it, it allows you to play the thought experiment of what's it going to be like in a you know, 2060 when people only watch the avengers movies and <laughs> none of the the filler uh it's going to be very very interesting to hear people talk about those movies in 50 years and uh you know seeing in the rain has that appeal for it to me uh which is great uh it was very heartening to me arthur to hear uh you say that gene hagen got a best supporting actress nomination for this movie because this movie is too mean to lena uh and okay. she is <laughs> One of my favorite parts of the damn film. Uh, Gene Hagen just like uh, doing this nuts Brooklyn accent that very feels very uh, informative of uh, the Harley Quinn voice the animated Batman animated series would give us in the yes. 90s. I can't think of that voice actor's name, but uh, you have to wonder if she's a Singing in the Rain fan because it's just like spot on. It's just such a fun performance that is very brassy and in control. And that's, I don't know, the, the, the fact that the movie... Uh, makes Lena the antagonist for all intents and purposes. Like, th there's no conflict in this film outside of the last, like, ten minutes and Lena yeah. deciding she's being done dirty, which she is, objectively. Uh, it's it's a shitty deal. And, again, the movie just really throws her under the bus, and I find it frustrating. But uh, that aside, uh, I do like it. The opening of this film, I, I adore. Uh, I was very like, all right, where are we going with this? And as soon as Gene Kelly's character starts talking about his upbringing and it's showing his actual, like, 
nuts yeah. slapdash vaudeville uh fight just fight or flight uh grinding out hustle like it's so good and the this the culmination of that story arc being this very real uh you know one take stunt that Gene Kelly does throwing himself over the bar like it's a great sequence and really it sets the tone for the movie uh, in a way that kind of brought me back around because I was already not on page with this movie in the first ten minutes uh that kind of brought me back in the lean stuff brought me ac- back uh back out and then you get make him laugh and oh my god what an all time like culmination. A physical performance and comedy and and like genuine like musical chops. It, it is the standout number. I know Singing in the Rain gets all the love. Uh, I'm I'm gonna side with Paul Shear who took this hot take on Unspooled. Uh, I'm with him, man. I, make him laugh is a showstopper and is oh, yeah. the number of the movie for me, no question. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, again, I, I have my reservations. I'm I'm right there with Arthur. Broadway melody goes on for way too long and just kind of takes over the back half. And again, I. Love it. Uh, I said off air and uh, that it uh, reminds me of the uh, the final sequences of John Wick three, which are you know a visual delight. But oh my god, it goes on for so long. Uh, so that's that's kind of where I I am at with singing in the rain. There's I think a lot for us to parse through an analysis, but uh, overall, yeah, it's it's absolutely beautiful. As Arthur said, the the performances are uh, lights out good. The costume design and production design on this movie is absolutely astonishing uh, i heard uh, the the costume designer whose name i don't have offhand but also did uh gone with the wind uh, and said this is way harder way harder people remember the 20s nobody remembers the 1860s uh so apparently this was like a real feat of uh costume engineering which i think rules uh but yeah the, just from top to bottom it is a real craft show but i think does as i said uh not just in the treatment of lena but also like the real life uh, history of like you got Arthur Freed, the producer who's a uh, notorious scumbag. Uh, you got Gene Kelly just kind of being a turd, uh, and I think that production history is very kind of foundational to to my issues with the film at, at large. But overall, like yeah, I see why it has become a beloved classic. As Arthur said, you know, awards and box office are not always the thing that determine longevity, and uh, yeah, I, I see why this is truly one of the great dance films uh, that was ever made. All right, well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Oh, I love Singing in the Rain. What did you expect me to say? Uh, it's a great movie. I expected you, you to you say you hate it. Oh, gosh, what? I expected you to say you hate it. He does hate a lot of things. I do hate many things. Um, How much have you seen this, a bunch? Yeah, a bunch, a dozen times maybe. Okay, uh, I so, figured. Yeah, I've seen it a bunch of times. And, in fact, I saw it last semester in a film studies course, uh, which is interesting, you know. What hey, was look. the framing of that? Was it a film history class? A film history, yeah. So. Hey, say what you will, but uh, January here at Good Trash, uh, Anti-Trash, uh, does what it says on the tin. We yep. pick movies you will actually talk about. In a film studies course. And Singing in the Grain is a, a great example of that. So, I mean, just because of where it's placed and the way it situates itself within Hollywood history is interesting. But just the experience of the movie, and, and that's really what I want to talk about right now, is just mm. it's just fun. It, and the, 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 the way in which that 1950s Technicolor works. Oh, it's so pretty. You know, when it's good and when it's a good transfer and a good print, it just looks amazing. And it's, it, it's, it's just a particular kind of aesthetic that I just I immediately caught into. I just love it uh, anytime I see it. And so uh, for me, I enjoy that. The performances that we've already said are great. The, the numbers are great. We didn't even talk about Moses Supposes, uh, which is a ridiculous. Great tap number. Holy just, crap. Just funny bit. and The great. only original song written for the movie, yeah, I, I think so, yeah, yeah. The only fully, fully original song, yeah. Yeah, the uh, rest of the, uh, the, the songwriter had just in his back pocket. Yeah, yeah, Make Him Laugh, I guess, is original insofar as it's stolen rhythm and melody of another song. Yeah, from I'm a Clown or whatever. Uh, be a Clown. 20s. Be yeah, a Clown. Cole yeah. Porter song, yeah. But. We'll talk more about that later. 
because uh, there's there are other stealing issues at work in this film. Plagiarism uh, abounds. It's it's a thing, and uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna litigate some of that. I hope uh, when we get to analysis. But uh, yeah, I, I love the movie. I'm not gonna say anything more than that. Uh, the singing in the rain, actual bit. Gene Kelly dancing and singing till his feet bleed is the uh, apocryphal perhaps tale, but I'm gonna go with it, and it's fantastic. Well, he did have to go on bed rest because he was a four pack a day smoker, and I'm pretty sure that's true. Like I also that, heard rumor that he had 103 temperature while filming that sequence i've also heard that yeah he's super sick yeah yeah yeah. i i heard he was dead and then they raised him back to <laughs> yeah. life and then he did the sequence. even in death did you guys know that gene kelly didn't pee or poop <laughs> never once not not ever once my man no pissing no pooping <laughs> he was a superman he was uh, yeah. he's, he's uh kim jong-un a uh, glorious leader of the people's republic of korea <laughs> uh but or you know MGM. Twist. you can't prove it's not true <laughs> nothing is real anymore I'm uh, sorry to derail you, Dustin. I'm done. I, I like yeah. the movie a lot. It's very good. What am I going to say? I mean, you've you've all said exactly the things I feel, and I keep returning to the movie, and I feel it as though it would be the same for you guys. As you come back, Seeing in the Ring is always going to be a rewarding time spent in front of your television set or if you get a chance to catch it in a theater uh, to do that. I would recommend you do that. I think the spectacle level of it would be really, really fun. And I do want to say, I mean, we were talking about the long Broadway melody, uh, Sid, Sid Charisse sequence, and you're not wrong at all. And we were talking about this off air. They, it absolutely does derail the plot. Structurally, it doesn't work. It, it It's just a big kind of what in terms of narrative. But it's also one of the most memorable moments of the whole film. And uh, it is um, a lights out uh, dance and sing number, a singing number there. And uh, so I just want to point that out. Yeah, and yeah. I, I oh, shared yeah. a really good article, I think, with you guys uh, from Film School Rejects by Christina Smith uh, called The Glorious Dream World of Singing in the Rain, which really goes to bat for that sequence. And it's kind of uh, meta placement within the narrative, reinforcing the themes and and uh, his rise as a star mm-hmm. uh, and kind of where he lands. Uh, and the the mirroring of his dances with the ingenue mm. Sid Cherie, uh yeah. and, and mirroring that relationship with uh, Debbie Reynolds' character. I, I didn't get to read that article. Does, does the author make the point? Because this is kind of the thing that did bring me back around to it a little bit. Uh, it does mirror that monologue he gives at the beginning, yeah. right? The truth. Yeah. It, it is a, a little bit of Don, uh, the character, kind of, uh, in, 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 as Dons are wont to do in uh, uh, visual fiction, uh, revealing their life through their art. Uh, I'm making a Mad Men reference. Yep. Uh, d- d- does she get into that in that article, I wonder? Yeah, and that's really, yeah. you know, the, his arrival there and yeah. him meeting uh, Sidri's vamp uh, persona mm-hmm. is kind of him meeting Lena and being drawn into this bigger world. And mm-hmm. then he meets the ingenue, mm-hmm. and then it kind of carries out. And so it's kind of a parallel of what's happening in the quote-unquote real world of, yeah. of Hollywood at that time. It's, right it's the play within the play. It's the Shakespeare yeah. movie yeah. there, yeah. So it's- reading that article, I think, really kind of, contextualizes that in a different light which sure. kind of helps helps it sell it to me a little more i still think it does hinder the flow of the film but i, I think it's a really well written piece about that sequence i'll have to, have to catch up with that because yeah that was kind of the thing that did bring me back to it. i was like well it is it is this moment of like he, he's telling his truth through his art which is kind of cool and yeah uh, it's time, right? Yeah, it's time. Well, I, well, it's time definitely to expand the syllabus and so we... i thought it was vader time <laughs> what's vader time vader time big van vader uh, this is a wrestling thing? Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, 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 okay. It's time. It's time. It's <laughs> Veda time. Slowly but surely, we all are living in one brain. So even if we don't know the reference that's being we made, pretty close. we got a pretty good idea yeah, it's like, what, it, what well, it's, it's like. As soon as you say, like, oh, yeah, I'm there. Yeah. Oh, it's it's the 1980s music 
TV show that Darth Vader hosted. <laughs> Look, the 80s were weird. I don't know. Hey, you know, I want to see Darth Vader in a discotheque so bad right now. Fred- I can't stand myself. Freddy Krueger hosted an anthology show and was in hip-hop videos, man. Like, everything is on the time. table. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So like much cocaine. Cat- cats came out. <laughs> Cats. <laughs> that did happen. So uh, expanding the syllabus. Justin. The thing that's not going to happen, but we're going to pretend like it happens anyway, is that we're going to be teaching a class in which we're using this as part of the syllabus. I'm often glad this doesn't actually happen. It would be a lot of work. And so you are maybe teaching a course in which this is a module um, themed, you know, any number of ways. But what, what I want to hear is what the course sort of looks like, and then what the particular module looks like in which you're discussing Singing in the Rain, and with what films and or readings would you augment that particular uh, viewing. So I go to you first, Dalton, because I went to Arthur first last time, and you know we're all about equality and parity here at the Good Trash Genre We try our very best. So go ahead, buddy. Uh, well, I, to that point, actually, I, I started out, I wanted to do a, a section about dance films uh, and, and just kind of talking about that. But we've, we covered that ground pretty well, I feel like, when we talked about Hairspray uh, last year, year before last, we did our musical marathon. Uh, and we talked a lot about the overlap between dance and uh, fight choreography last week. So I wanted to try something different. Uh, so this is going to be a class uh, that's uh, stardom is a grift. Uh, this is going to be looking at uh, pop works uh, and kind of examining the the fairy tale that Singing in the Rain is is selling. And I, I think no. Singing in the Rain has got a good ur text. Uh, I mean, plenty of classic Hollywood cinema uh, carries uh, the storyline. Uh, in fact, one of the films in the syllabus is going to be something, uh, well, is not is a remake of one of those very films. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but again, I, I think Singing in the Rain is a great example of this this story that we keep coming back to, uh, uh, of the, the meteoric rise to fame and power and acclaim. Um, but uh, I think, again, we looking at Singing in the Rain and looking at its production history, uh, we can kind of peel back the onion and see where that's bullshit, uh, and then dive a little bit deeper. Uh, so I think first off, we'll we'll start with Hail Caesar, the Coen Brothers mm-hmm. film, which I think just uh, offers some fun uh, mockery of this time in Hollywood. Again, it's yeah. this is a film about the twenties, and uh, uh, Hail Caesar is a film about the fifties, and it really does show you a lot of the skullduggery that's going on to keep this Hollywood system of the fifties afloat. That's a film I, I have not revisited since I saw it in theaters, but I think it's going to be a rich text. I mean, uh, and again, you can talk about these Easter egg references to classical Hollywood cinema, whether or not they even matter uh, in terms of understanding the text. But I, I think Hail Caesar is, is a fun uh, peel back uh, on how movies were made in the 50s. Next, we're going to go ahead and look uh, at how this arc continues. Uh, and we're going to watch uh, 2019's A Star is Born. Uh, we're going to really not watch the film, I don't think, though. I think maybe we'll do some scenes, but I think it's really best looked at uh, both as a remake uh, to another classical Hollywood film about stardom, uh, but also as maybe like a, a career case study of Lady Gaga uh, and her rise from you know the club scene into international pop superstar and what that looked like for her. Uh, maybe some scenes from that documentary uh, about her. I haven't watched that, but I imagine it'd be a good place to start for this this portion of the class. Uh, I think next we're going to move to uh, Kendrick Lamar album To Pimp a Butterfly, which is what nice. all of you, thank you. It's what all of this is about. Right, Pimp Butterfly is all about I got everything I ever wanted, and oh fuck, it, this is bad. This is no good. <laughs> this yeah. is terrible. I got to do something different, and I, I think it's going to be a really good uh, look at how ugly does this pursuit of fame and money and excess get? What is this? Where does it land you? And it, it lands you empty and alone and sad and feeling bad about 
uh, you're in, feeling inauthentic to the, the people who care about you. Uh, again, great record, and uh, I think a really great look at this, and I think we'll close out uh, with another modern look at this kind of thing. We're going to look at the film Ingrid Goes West from a couple of years ago, which nice. I think, thank you. Uh, yeah, I had fun programming this one. Uh, I think Ingrid Goes West takes all of this Hollywood stardom uh, and puts it in our modern paradigm that says you, you don't need a studio system to be famous. Like You just do it by being hot and interesting. Uh, by having, you know, copying all the aesthetics around you and supplanting them into your own, like, sort of, I don't know, archived uh, statement of personality through aesthetic, right? Uh, just kind of examining this uh, this phase of culture that we're in that is very obsessed with this appearance and this putting forward of an idea of oneself. I'm going to host a fucking podcast. Like, we're, we are no... Uh, you know, paragons of living off the grid or anything. But I, I think Inger Goes West looks at how dirty and uh, hateful that can grow within the soul, like this this kind of cancerous desire for approval uh, at the expense of other people. Uh, again, great movie. Like, nobody saw it. Uh, big fan. Really amazing performances all around. Uh, top to bottom, amazing cast. I'm not going to list everybody, but uh, all, all really wonderful. And again, a film that I think kind of encapsulates and puts in our modern context as much as a star is born is trying to be set in the 2010s it's if it doesn't it's not a story that really makes a whole lot of sense anymore i don't feel like uh but i think inger goes west is going to be a great place to finish off all right very cool very cool i appreciate that very much mr dalton Stewart. what do you say arthur how are you going to teach this in a class setting if you could just do it every one with whatever class and just use this movie I think I'd probably do a man behind the curtain thing and just kind of lifting the veil on Hollywood, uh, kind of jumping off of where Dalton is with Hail Caesar, kind of that idea okay. of just looking at Hollywood's fascination with itself. Mm, yeah. Um, and so I'd probably start with 1950s Sunset Boulevard, which is two years before Singing in the Rain and showing the darker side of that. I think to Dalton's point, you know, it's it's not an easy path. Yeah, uh, a lot of human wreckage. Very tedious. There's, yeah, there's a lot of uh, casualties of of this life. We, uh, we see it in the... The, oh, I can't think of her name in, in Sunset Boulevard that he lives with. Barbara Stanwyck is the actress, but yeah, I can't think of no, uh, that. Gloria Swanson. Gloria Swanson. Yeah, you're thinking of Double Indemnity. I am thinking of Double Indemnity. Uh, yeah, but Gloria Swanson, and she's that kind of Lena character. Where What mm-hmm. Lena would become is, is Gloria Swanson's character in that movie. Well, the pictures got small. Yeah. She was always big. <laughs> yeah. That's right, baby. Um, but I, I think that's a really, you know, that's 1950, and... and we're only, you know, what, 50 years into Hollywood and making, or not even 50 years into Hollywood, yeah. but, you know, into making movies. And, and we're already seeing that kind of dark undercurrent of, of what this system is and what it can do to people um, and, and the pain that comes with it. I, I think especially for the female uh, side of, you know, Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot harder for them. And, and we see that with Lena's character in um, dance, uh, Singing in the Rain. Um, from there, I'd probably go to... Uh, I'd, I'd probably go with the artist, uh, as well. Um, which yeah. owes a great debt to singing in the rain, you know, a very big debt, uh, to this movie. Um, even the opening of the artist where, uh, Jean Dujardin comes out on stage and, and applauds and plays to the crowd and keeps his co-star off stage. I mean, it's very, very, uh, hinty and naughty back to singing in the rain. And I think, uh, Jean Dujardin looks a lot like Gene Kelly yeah, he does. In, in that movie. Um, which is very intentional, but I think it works well. And I think it's a very satirical look 
at at Hollywood uh, in the the twenties. Um, you got to imagine the French love that that one Best Picture, right? The movie that they made like trolling old Hollywood yeah. still got an Oscar. Yeah, it's so funny because I, I think if you're not familiar with Havadasius's uh, work, um, you know, and you Just see have the OSS have a hamster's work, uh, and you see the OSS movies, you're like, oh, this is much more satirical than I think a lot of mainstream audiences expected or realized. Yeah, Haberdashery is a real uh, comedian. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and so I'd go there. I think Mulholland Drive is a great pick as well. Uh, Thank you. Uh, playing yeah. off of Sunset Boulevard. I think Absolutely. those two pair well in looking at that dark underbelly. And then I'd probably go with uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Tarantino's movie from 2019, uh, which is examining that the fading star mm. and where that goes. And, you know, it's a, about 20 years, 30 years after uh, the events of Singing in the Rain, but it's yeah. still... You know, it's a cycle. Uh, it's a cycle that continues. You know, you you're used up, thrown out, and the next the next version comes in, and they just reboot and keep going. So, I think looking at some of those elements and, and looking at that that life, uh, maybe throw in uh, uh, something fun like Blazing Saddles, which isn't meta till it is all meta, uh, which is a lot of fun, I think, as well. And, and maybe even the Holy Grail to to some extent, yeah, nice. and kind of tearing that veil down and, and seeing what's going on there. Yeah, the, all the period pieces you've you've got on there too are like really open this this wormhole into talking about the way we uh, mythologize the past. Yeah. Yeah. Dustin, what, what are you thinking for this? So I think if I was uh, teaching a class and I was going to pick this movie, I think it would be kind of a race and gender studies and film class uh, that I would do. Yeah. When they mentioned the jazz singer, I was wondering how long it was going to take for singing in the rain to get racist. And then it happened literally a scene later that when we, we see the movie they're making. Very, very quickly. And we're going to, we're going to die, dive deep into that when we get to analysis. But, um, so I do think the jazz singer is a movie that I would watch with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I also think uh, Judy Garland's uh, another musical uh, called Meet Me in St. Louis yep. uh, is one that I would use. And uh, the readings that I would use, I happen to have them here with me. And I actually don't have the right chapter of Incongruous Entertainment by Stephen Cohen, uh, which is a uh, an analysis of camp. And so it's going to be our gender queer studies uh, yeah. section of this. Um, Cosmos gay, y'all. Um, mm-hmm. More on this anon. And so... I think that's a way in with that. And then um, Carol Clover, who uh, is a name you might know, uh, famously wrote a book called Men, Women, and Chainsaws. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. And, this one. Uh, but she's got a great essay called Dancing in the Rain. Uh, and so uh, I would use it as well. And it's about, I don't know, 30, 40 pages long. It's a, it's a long article. Hmm. But um, I would use those. Uh, probably the, the Singing in the Rain chapter, which I don't have with me, of Incongruous Entertainment. I might still use the introduction, which I actually happened to bring because I – Went back over it briefly while Dalton was talking instead of listening to him. And uh, checks out. Like, oh, that's okay. Yeah, I'm sure what the, whatever these dead people had to write was way more interesting than what I said. Oh, they're not dead yet. I'm sure these old people's writings <laughs> are much more interesting than my ramblings. But uh, that's that's the way I would go at it, and uh, we'll talk more about that because I do think we'll have to sort of dive deep, sure, uh, to do some analysis stuff. And I guess that means. It's time to get down to business. Yeah, you better get those socks out of that out of that uh, very dangerous uh, washer cycle you're about to start. You oh yeah, they're, they're get delicate. those socks out. Yeah, hang dry. Hang dry. There were no dryers in the 1920s. <laughs> Let's get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I Oh, we are back and you nice. running through one of those little ringy things. Gotta run it through the ringer. And yeah, I I'm head to toe legit. We're talking about a twenties movie this week. I haven't used my cell phone in a week. Now that, that's a blind. I do want to point out that my business socks today have Kermit the Frog. That is true. Can confirm. So it was uh, created around the same time as this movie. I'm not mistaken. 
Wait, in the really? 50s? Yeah. Henson he, made he, him in the 50s? I did, not, I did not know that. That makes sense. Uh, I mean, he was definitely beginning his, you know, art school time, so... Yeah, hey, look, most great that. artists are sitting on their, their passion project for 20 years before they actually get to put it up. That makes sense. True, true. So, um, let's talk a little bit about analysis. Um, and I think the first thing I want to talk about is something that Carol Clover brings uh, to the fore a lot in her article, Dancing in the Rain. And uh, we were talking about uh, Gene Hagen doing some of the sing-dubbing, and mm-hmm. that's true. Yeah. And there is another woman who did singing as well. Her name may have been Betty Noyce. Her name may have been Betty Royce. Is this Debbie Reynolds singing double? The de- de- for singing double for Debbie Reynolds. Yeah. Not credited, right? Not credited. I think so. So uh, neither, neither is Hagen for whatever um, help that she gave on some dialogue uh, here and there. Uh, so here's the thing. Um, this movie is literally what happened in the text of the film happened in the production of the, the film. movie is doing the thing that is the evil it's a true bad, Ouroboros. bad thing that it's doing right i mean that, that that's sort of the first sort of snake eating its own tail kind of moment yeah. uh, in the story and again it's who cares who i mean and the thing is we don't know if it's betty noyce or betty royce and it could have been that there is one woman called betty who had a name change i mean that does happen sure. but the fact that there is a sort of slant rhyme going on here is that it wasn't important enough to really remember, and the transmission was just lost. And so some records just it, – it, it, it didn't matter enough not, not only to not put her in the credits. It didn't matter enough to actually remember the lady's name. Just – I mean, you know, just a set with that. And you know Debbie Reynolds didn't know about this. Nah. No. And the same thing that happened to um, – oh, my God. Uh, what's your doodle? Uh, Mission Impossible, Dr. Sleep. Uh, Rebecca Hall. Rebecca Hall, yeah, on The uh, Greatest Showman. Ferguson? Uh, Ferguson, oh. you're right. Wait, no, Paul. Paul. <sighs> Too many English Rebecca's. They're all great. Uh, but yeah, she got she got dubbed over for her singing on the Grey Showman. So we're still doing this. Like, mm. This is nothing new. We've never stopped doing it. We've never not done it. There were even these kind of uh, similarly with the Black Swan and Natalie Portman. There yeah. were some issues of oh yeah a big, dance double big and, controversies yeah. around them because they per- tried to pretend there was yeah it's a whole thing on that yeah. one gross but yeah I mean credit is obviously something important to give yeah. cite sources you know then there's a way in which that's that's a sort of plagiarism that I you know when we talk about movies stealing from each other fine well, yeah I've got a great quote on that actually if you want to take a quick diversion I would love to um, yeah so did this you get is, it from Nick as well the Jim Jarmusch quote yes yeah I, Nick yeah Nick's uh Oh, we're getting in some jarmouche lately. Uh, but this is a great quote uh, on this this idea of art theft, right? Uh, so n- this is uh, all Jim Jarmouche. Nothing is original. Steal from anywhere that resonates with inspiration or fuels your imagination. Devour old films, new films, music, books, paintings, photographs, dr- poems, dreams, random conversations, architecture, bridges, street signs, trees, clouds, bodies of water, light, and shadows. Select only things to steal from that speak directly to your soul. If you do this, your work and theft will be authentic. Authenticity is invaluable. Originality is non-existent. And don't bother concealing your thievery. Celebrate it if you feel like it. In any case, always remember what Jean-Luc Godard said. It's not where you, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not where you take things from, it's where you take them to. So, yeah, exactly. Stealing is intrinsic to art. Yeah, especially in Hollywood. I mean, that was a big part of the machine is, like, it evolved. It would see outside artistic sources and it inherently uh, use those techniques and grow and evolve. And, you know, Hitchcock was kind of an example of this. He saw German Expressionism, incorporated it into his work, and then influenced filmmakers to start copying his style and structures and well you look at a three-act structure they're going to be basically mm-hmm. the same you know yeah. you're gonna you're gonna go go for a walk and then you're gonna get chased up a tree and you're gonna come down the tree i mean that's gonna happen in every movie basically music there's only so many notes all right i mean so i mean there's 24 marvel films and they're all the same <laughs> 
Correct. Um, moving right along, though. Uh, so I, I'm not mad about that sort of version of sure. plagiarism, but I am again sort of taking credit for somebody else's Uncredited. work. Uncredited. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there there's a creative thing that's at work there, and we were mentioning this earlier that the uh, the be a clown, uh, make him laugh correlation there. And again, yeah. Cole Porter didn't get any money. Pretty mm. successful film. It's a pretty successful film, and uh, that that would be a pretty important bit of royalties, and, you would you think. Know, Betty Royce and or Noyce does not get residuals if they, nobody no. remembers her name. And, and so, that, so there's, there's this sort of uncredited just taking that's going on in this film. And uh, Carol Clover gives this sort of symptomatic reading of uh, this occurrence, is that, that Kelly... And to a lesser extent, Dawn and are aware mm-hmm. of what they're doing in various avenues of their lives uh, with this film, and so they know that they're they're stealing the voice of Betty Noyce Royce. Um, they know that there's this sort of uncredited Cole Porter bit there, and furthermore, the ways in which the racial subtext plays into the film. So uh, the, the, there's a lot of references to uh, the jazz singer, and uh, they're they're thinking about new titles for the dueling cavalier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks. Uh, and so they're going to make it. And it's going to be the singing cavalier, the dancing cavalier, the dance of oh, dancing cavalier. Right. No. Um, but, That's it, Cosmo. You got it. But Cosmo's first suggestion is the uh, dancing mammy, uh, which is again sort of you yeah, know, is. riffing off the sort of famous mammy scene of the jazz singer blackface. It's, it's pretty horrible, yeah. right? Um, and they kept doing it. They <laughs> for fifty. Damn years. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a terrible thing. But here's the thing about Gene Kelly and his dancing prowess. He was schooled and educated, you know, in sort of formal dancing. But the way he got good is he hung out with African-American dancers and stole their moves. And so Not the surprising. tap dance moves that we see in, like, Moses Supposes yeah. and some of the moves that we see in Singing in the Rain are, well, they're, they're cultural appropriation moments. In which there is a different kind of make them laugh has some proto breakdancing shit in it. Yeah, uh, I don't know what the lineage, uh, which way the lineage goes. I don't, I, don't but... know, well, I don't know about his dancing particularly. All right, I can only, I can only speak to Kelly because that's all Clover okay. addresses in her essay. All right. Well, I'm hoping. I'm oh boy, I hope I can put uh, Donald on a shelf because I like that. I like that song. But um, you know, Gene Kelly does finagle with the uh, lyrics of the song as he's um, explaining himself to a police officer for you know acting like a black person on the street. Um, I'm just dancing in the rain. And it's, of course, a much safer situation for him to be explaining this sort of stuff. I mean, again, all of these little bits of context, this is not mine, this is this Clover. Is clover, yeah. This is not surprising. This, this is the author of Men, Women, and Chainsaws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this, this is, a, this is a, just a bruiser of an essay. Damn Clover. Right. Um, and so I hope... I, Get him. I hope we're not going to ruin Singing in the Rain for us, but... Well, we should. Uh, I, I think that's, you know... Well, no, I, don't, I want you to still watch it. I well, enjoy it. You should, it. Yeah. but I, mean, I think we got to ruin it. you got to kill your darlings, baby. Right, and, no, and know, the, with it. Yeah. know the problem here. And so... It is, in a sense, it is White Men Can Dance is mm. uh, maybe the possible subtitle to Singing in the Rain. Sure. And uh, that not only is there this uncredited labor from Betty Noyce slash Royce, uncredited labor from Cole Porter, but there's also the uncredited uh, uh, just sort of source material that has been sanitized, I mean quite literally whitewashed mm-hmm. and um, anglicized in mm. the form of Gene Kelly by taking uh, uh, you know these things. And, it, and the movie... Uh, this is again where Clover's psychoanalysis becomes really, really interesting. Okay, is that the movie cannot but keep like symptomatically Freudian slipping out with 
pieces of information that would lead us to see that. That mm. in order, we have a problem with Debbie Reynolds and her singing voice. So there's a narrative moment in the film where the exact same problem that Gene Hagen's character is experiencing, right? Yeah. Uh, that, that you, you've got to do that. You've got this sort of racial subtext that's working in any dancing movie that we're going to make. And so Cosmo's going to name the movie The Dancing Mammy, mm. right? Yeah. Uh, so that that's where it gets very, very troubling. And, that, and I think that's Clover's. Um, major sort of contribution uh, to any, any other thoughts on just sort of this racial reading again she gives it again this just barn burner reading of that particular dancing in the rain scene like yeah he talks to a cop black man probably wouldn't be able to do that and explain I'm just dancing you know just having fun I'm in love I'm, I'm in love and having fun but um, I'm also white and so I can do these sort of semi-black things and, and rich and famous and rich and famous and be fine yeah and so, uh, yeah, very, very interesting reading uh, that she gives. So uh, moving on to uh, Stephen Cohen, uh, and just in terms of camp, I, I don't really have much more to say other than um, Cosmo is clearly gay. He is the gay friend, right? Um, in, in a way, again, in the sort of clearly gay, in the way that he's coded gay. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if he kissed Gene Kelly, that would be clearly gay. So I, I, I don't... Pay a dollar to see that. Um, it's a more interesting movie. Yeah. So when I say clearly, I, I'm saying the subtext in the way is, that any character in a Hollywood '50s film is. Yeah, right. I got gotcha, you. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. And you, know, you got any uh, specific references from? Uh... I mean, I think the 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 Debbie Reynolds and the platonic kiss that happens, and he acts all abashed and falls over. Sure, like, okay. It's like, oh look, I'm doing the thing that I'm supposed to do right now because you know I really I'm not into girls that much. Um, and, and those kind of moments he oversell. Yeah, he oversells it. I mean, again, with this sort of dramatic, you know, overlay. Uh, that goes on with it. And so I, those are some of the things that uh, he addresses in terms of just the coding of the film and, you know, what, what what's gay, what's queer or whatever. Uh, he tends to use the term gay over the term queer. Um, it just shows kind of the dating of the essay, I think. But sure. nonetheless, uh, the other thing, though, about Singing in the Rain, though, is it is a camp classic. That makes a lot. Of, I didn't didn't know that, uh, but it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it didn't surprise me. Right, yeah, it's it, Chad because it's so damn cool. It's so cool, and it, but it's also yeah. like so maudlin and melodramatic and over the top. Well, yeah. Got a dance has got some real uh, the the first part of Broadway melody that like that underground club scene definitely mm -hmm. has like. It's not coded in any like particular way, other than like anywhere where you can dance and drink wantonly is. Uh, not great in the 50s and associated with all sorts of things that they didn't like back then. Uh, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. Mm -hmm. Again, Broadway melodies, just full of beautiful colors and great dancing. Right. No, I, I hear you. This is not shocking. So, yeah, Does this it, get addressed in the essay by, what was the author's name? Uh, Cohen. It, Cohen. It's, it's, it's a full-length book. Sorry, the chapter on Singing in the Rain, rather. Yeah, just yeah. Cohen addressed uh, Broadway Melody, I assume. Broadway Melody in particular, I don't remember being the thing. Okay. I think mostly uh, it's Cosmo. Cosmo. Okay. Cosmo, the character, is uh, where he spends most of his time. Again, I don't have my chapter in front of me. I, I came prepared, but um, missing pieces. Hey, you're still pretty prepared. Uh, so, nonetheless, uh, I, I do think that sort of conversation, and then moving into, you know, Judy Garland, and why she is this sort of, you know, queer icon, and why that works, and what it is about that. And, again, the way in which these movies are so serious, and yet they are so uh, over-the-top flamboyant. And I think, again, I, as you were saying, the Broadway melody scene is, is a great example of just excess, Right, oh, yeah. which is one of the one of the key sort of uh, tropes of the camp aesthetic. Sure, and so uh, thinking about you know this in terms of queer studies, I think is just interesting. So that, that's all I have to say about Cohen and uh, Clover. But those are my initial observations in terms of analysis and plagiarism oh. and theft. Well, 
yeah, I mean, look, we're just reading smart people's things that they say on the show, but this, this is how it works, yeah. as Jarmusch has said, right? Uh, I, I think, <laughs> speaking of uncredited work, though, I do want to pivot back to that a little bit. Yes. So let's talk about uh, uh, Cosmo. Let's talk about Stuntmen. Uh, I mean, this kind of are stunt people. That's fucked up. Stunt people. Come on, Dalton. Get it together. Uh, I mean, that's important to talk about. Uh, the, the gender parity within the stunt community is a huge thing going on right now. Uh, it's conversations that have not been had before. A mm. uh, little of that comes up in uh, Iron Fists and uh, Kung Fu Kicks and Iron Fists, whatever, whichever order it is, the yeah. documentary that came up last week. Uh, but I saw a great uh, little interview with the, uh, the stunt coordinator and fight choreographer off of uh, The Art of Self-Defense, and I, I can't have I don't have her name pulled up right now. I can't remember it off the dome, but uh, it's all something with her kind of talking about this, about having to make your own jobs within the stunt community as a huh. woman. So, uh, but you know, uh, gender parity in, in that aspect of filmmaking aside, like this, that's just a part of filmmaking that goes kind of deeply underrepresented. It's not something that we reward in a big way at you know Hollywood's big nights. You know, I mean, there are stunt awards, obviously, but they don't you know uh, engender the same kind of uh, devotion uh, and like. Uh, high-minded betting <laughs> or whatever that we do around the Oscar pools and shit. Uh, so it, it is kind of a bummer. And it's, that is the one aspect of these, these love letters to Hollywood, even when they're a little too saccharine. Um, they do give uh, shine a light on people who, whose work goes unacknowledged a lot of mm-hmm. times. Uh, and, and I think that is kind of uh, a, a real, you know, uh, star on its chest for singing in the rain is that that focus on the craft and the, the craft people that uh, you know don't end up on screen and uh, are just a name in the credits if you bother to pay attention uh, so i think that's really cool and again arthur talked about once upon a time in hollywood which obviously uh stunt work is a huge factor yeah. in, in that film and uh, again something that comes up a lot in quentin tarantino's filmography right got stunt characters in that death proof yeah uh hugely uh been talk of stunt work in a lot of his films and uh, that's uh yeah that shows that film nerd uh vibe that he's always had throughout his filmography but it does as with singing in the rain show you that the, the people who love film uh yeah i get it when they make a movie about hollywood because there's a lot of stuff that goes unsaid that the general public uh both the general public and the not working in the film industry public just don't get to hear some of these stories. And and I think telling these stories, even if they're cobbled together from lies and half truths sometimes is valuable, Mm -hmm. but it is important to remember that uh, there's a lot of people whose work is gone unappreciated and people die. Some people die a lot. Uh, You see it every once in a while and doesn't ever stop the movie from getting made. Uh, It'll just be kind of a quiet line. Friggin' uh, Die Hard 4, uh, I think had two deaths. At least one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's it just happens all the time, and it's movies that you don't even remember. Uh, people get hurt, they die. Uh, not just the the unsurprising ones like Mad Max, uh, but it, it is interesting to see that community just continue to go on unacknowledged. And uh, it's weird that we haven't got that movie yet. The the singing in a rain, the rain equivalent of like stunt people. Um, yeah, I don't drive. know. I guess that's true. Uh, we do have that, yeah. But that's not about that uh, so no. much. I don't. I don't know the stunt. It's about other things. Hey, if you listen to this show and you work in the the stunt world, how do you feel about drive? I'd like to know. Yeah, for real. I'd be uh, curious to hear that. I'd be very curious. I, I think uh, I had something else for this. Oh, uh, the idea of uh, printing the legend, uh, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, made famous in uh, Who Shot Liberty Valance. Wait, is that the name? Yeah. Of the man who shot. Man who shot, shot Liberty Valance. Thank you. But uh, again, this comes back to this love letter to Hollywood stuff. 
Do we, do we? How do we feel about this? Just like as a unit, as individuals, what, what do we think about this idea? That Hollywood, and again, it's not just. I mean, I just you know invoke Tarantino. There's a, a big self myth, myth maker, if ever there was one. I almost said milf maker. Uh, that would have been same energy, a different thing. Uh, well, <laughs> shit. I tell you what, oh he's a fucking weirdo, man. Like I like a lot of his movies. Oh my, weird dude. Uh, Gotta love them. I, maybe you don't. I don't know. I have complicated feelings. It's not important. My point is, uh, the, these, these legends that we allow to perpetuate, whether it's, you know, Gene Kelly never peed and pooped, make it sing to the rain, and he, he smoked, uh, meth out of a, out of a, a glass two by four. I, whatever. <laughs> a glass two I'm by four. Just throwing together Gene words Kelly, together. baby. Yeah, exactly. This is what I'm saying, though. Like, you hear these apocryphal stories that right. there's no, possible way to confirm or deny most of them because they're all hearsay and you again some of them are probably true uh and again obviously there's certain uh hearsays in hollywood that we should take very seriously and certain hearsays would be like that's maybe a funny story if it's true but in either case it is all like self-made myth making because Mm -hmm. they're very good at making myths it's kind of the whole thing that they do I think, you know, to pull it back behind the curtain just a little bit more, thinking about the the myths that are being protected in around the film itself and around all this sort of myth-making. And, of course, Gene Kelly's sort of excess and uh, his uh, perfectionism. It it sounds a little like a Stanley Kubrick kind of mythology. Sure, oh yeah, that real totalitarian director. And this this really, really particular uh, kind of vision that he's he's working with as well Mm -hmm. uh, that, that really sort of drives him. Uh, that, that seems to be interesting. And again, you know, he's using his power to make this amazing film, though, that in, in, in ends up being this incredible work of art. Uh, you know, the, you know, AFI Top 20, not AFI, um, Sight and Sound Top yeah. 20, AFI Top 5 yeah. uh, film. And I was thinking about it in terms of just, you know, power and the consolidation of power, you know, how the studios are making their decisions and doing what they want to do, and uh, the quick turnaround and how that, you know, provides artists this opportunity to you know, take a, a tragedy and turn it into something that's amazing, a success, mm-hmm. whatever the dancing cavalier ends up being um, in the box office in the fictitious world of Singing in the Rain. But I was thinking about... I bet it takes a bath. The women in the film and how um, clearly Debbie Reynolds' character has no power. Yeah. And Lena has quite a bit of power. And it is depicted that her having power is kind of a bad thing because, you know, she's a woman and she's... That's what I'm saying. You this know, movie's yeah. mean to Lena Lamont. And, well, and I, I'm wondering if it's not mean to Mary Pickford, is what I was thinking about. Yeah. Uh, Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford were this similar kind of silent era power couple who went into production, mm. Pickfair, and all this other you know company that came out afterward. They were part of United Artists and a number of other uh, big ventures. She get she get the hook with the advent of sound. Uh, I, she didn't act as much. I mean, she I mean, neither did Douglas Fairbanks. I mean, Des, they both did. Fair. They both worked. Well, she was a lot earlier. I mean, we're, yeah. Kind of teens, gotcha. So yeah. I mean, she'd have probably been. Thank you for the context. Never heard this name before. Appreciate it. She is, she's transitioning out, you know, basically. Yeah. Well, because there's no work for you when you're not 20. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that hadn't changed. Yeah, right. And yeah, so not until you're about 60, and yeah, then you, you can be a mother figure. Then you can be a hat. They're, they're yeah. only allowed to have five actresses between the ages of 30 and 55. <laughs> Uh, and one they time. All look twenty. That's right. That's the weird thing about it. Uh, damn industry, dude. Uh, yeah, but I, I do wonder about sort of that kind of concern. Sure. Is, is that you would you know get jealous and then you would not allow you know a really talented woman to sort of come up and you know really do her work and perform her art and 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 then the way in which you know Hollywood you know as a structure with uh, male directors and male producers that really this is the best way to make sure that we can find ways to give opportunities and we let too much power go to those ladies. It's going to be all will. 
willy nilly and just you know emotional in the decision making. We can't be having that. And this is where these narratives come from, right? Yeah, right. Uh, whether conscious or subconscious, they are all about perpetuating power and like continuing to uh, maintain these hierarchies and you know, all the dumb commie shit you always hear me say on this show, listener. But it, again, it we keep bringing up these these ideas of like systemic oppression and stuff when we talk about films because they are relevant whether in the text of the film or the production of the film they often come up uh and it would be uh, foolish of us to not pretend that again the, these narratives about oh you can't uh Lena Lamont went crazy with power uh or well you tried to have her uh, steer, share the stage with uh oh my god what's the Debbie Reynolds De- character's name um uh, I had it a second ago Kathy Ka- Kathy Salen Salen Selden Selden Kathy Selden uh they Oh, they can't work together. They're too competitive. They hate each other. And it's it's the same crap. Turtles all the way down, man. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, we keep telling each other these same lies about each other uh, so we can continue to not change anything. It's it's very frustrating. Yeah, yeah. for sure, for sure. Um, other big analytical threads? I mean, those are the main ones that I was wanting to discuss was, you know, the camp thing, and I wanted to make sure we talked about the power thing, uh, Lena, the feminist sort of reading of it. Yeah. And, uh, again, the sort of, you know, racial appropriation a uh, bit that Clover mentions. Um, other major bits? Uh, we would... I kind of want to talk about art within art, but I sort of feel like we got there. Mm-hmm. Uh, just talking about uh, Broadway Melody. Uh, yeah. Talking about that article you brought Arthur. Um, yeah, I feel good. Let's punch out. All right. Well, all right. So let's render a verdict, guys. Show for trash. No. No, we don't do that anymore, we Dustin. We don't do that anymore. It's all right. Um, well, we it. shelf it. Wait, we do shelf for trash. You just we were about to say Elsa I was like, yeah, yes, I, I was like, I cut You're myself okay. off. You're all right. It's okay. Hey, uh, hey, bud. Hey. We're going to get through this together. Or, uh, can we hold hands? Yeah, let's go. Oh, Come okay. on. Thank yeah, you. right there. Thank you. Okay, guys. Shelf for trash. Singing in the rain. And again, th- this is the question I'm asking because ma- mostly during analysis, we've pretty much bashed this movie. And so, I mean, or at least the production process and the sure. system from which it comes out and uh, see some real problematic things about it. So I'm curious to see where we find ourselves falling in terms of shelving and trashing. I'm going to go to Arthur first, though, because I went to you first last time. He's doing this real ping-pong thing back and forth um, today. Yeah, he is. It's weird. It's usually one-man show. Um, I, uh, You know, I, I think I would shelf it. I, I do. I think there's a lot there. I mean, I think analysis here has proven that there's a lot to discuss about this film. I think it's also just a good gateway into that discussion. I, I, I do. I, I mean, I think there is enough of that underlying current present in the film. You know, you talked about those Freudian slips and things of that nature. Um, I I think that kind of helps open up that discourse. Yeah. And I think it is, I think it's just a good gateway there and I think it's just a fun film. And so I think on a a variety of levels, it allows itself uh, to be worked with and a a good teaching point and also a good discussion point uh, just about a time in cinema from a, a, a array of schools mm-hmm. okay very good very good well what do you say don't will you shelf it or trash it yeah i think it would be easy to come in here right and be like i'm gonna blow up the cannon let's punt this into the sun okay aziz is that is that what that sounded like yeah. that's not what i was going for huh <laughs> weird it's not that's you know not weird it would be easy to do that though right and i think we should shelf it i think as arthur said it it does yeah it's a good gateway into talking about this era of hollywood it's a good gateway into talking about Hollywood's problems. And, you know, it's not something as egregious as uh, or untenable as Birth of a Nation, right? Like, it, it's gross, but, you know, it's watchable. It's very fun. It's very pretty. And, again, the, the dance and stunt performances in this film are 
just absolutely lights out. I mean, that's maybe the one area of analysis we could have spent more time on, but I don't know what we would have said other than dance good. Mm-hmm. Uh, dance good. I mean, uh, other than, you know, a lot of the innovative camera work that's going on, and, you know, getting Gene Kelly as this, this co-director, and maybe for that reason alone, like looking at the performer as a director, right? I mean, you've got... Uh, now the the team uh, behind John Wick going on to their Chad Stileski, and I knew I was going to forget one of their names. I always do. Um, I can never remember them both at the same time. Uh, but, you know, you've got these these two dudes came up in the stunt world and are now filmmakers and have their own company, and that doesn't happen without Gene Kelly inserting himself saying, as the dancer, I need to tell you where this camera needs to go, mm-hmm. right? Yin Wu Ping doesn't become a name that we talk about if he doesn't have such a... Uh, him and his fight team don't have such a, a big integral part in the Matrix and Crouching Tiger. So I think this all, as Arthur, you know, wisely connect Crouching Tiger and Scene in the Rain, it all comes back together. And I, yeah, I, th- I think there is a lot here to discuss and think about. Um, so yeah, it is. And again, it is. It's just a hoop. It's a lot of fun. So yeah, let's shelf it. All right, very good, very good. Um, so I'm going to make this argument real quick as I'm going to shelf this movie. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'll cut off all the suspense here, and that is. The way in which canons are um, obviously arbitrary and things that we always need to be looking askance at and questioning, but there's a, something about canons that are self-sustaining, and yeah. this movie sort of falls in that place where are there other more interesting musicals you could watch? Sure. Are there other examples of some of the same kinds of things? I mean, you, you, there, are, there are a number of films that could be instead of Singing in the Rain. You look, I'd go to bat for uh, Step Up starring one Channing Tatum. Oh, sure. Make a good dance movie. Sure. I mean, you I'm know, saying. a number of ways that we could do that. But because it does hold the place it does in culture, the way in which it is known, the idea that everyone knows the song, the fact that uh, Gene Kelly's face was imposed upon a body crumping for a Volkswagen commercial not very long ago. Oh, God, that's uh, right. I forgot about and, uh, Oh, God, culture moves so fast. Uh, uh, it, it's, a, it's a touchstone, and there's a lot of literature already out about it. And so I think it's just important for the discussion at this point that even though uh, part of what the literature is unveiling is some of the problems of the film, and they do still exist, I think it needs to remain in the canon. It does need to be a movie that you put on the shelf because it's an important part of the conversation. Um, and will remain remain one uh, throughout you know the foreseeable future. So uh, that's where I'm going to land as well. So there you go, dear listener. Um, we're done. We've already announced what's happening next, right? We announced that last time, right? That's correct. So oh, yeah. uh, next time, you want to say it again? I mean, it's, yeah. it's like your thing. I, I don't want to well, take your th- the so. the rain is gone. The sunshine's going to come through as we talk about uh, <laughs> uh, Michel Gondry's uh, Eternal Sandri- uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Written by uh, Charlie Kaufman. I was about to say, you say, say Gondry's, I say Kaufman's, but uh, it's an interesting discussion to have next week. I'm very uh, curious. Because theory, eh? And the connection to uh, 20 for 20 is. Uh, uh, it was made with a $20 million that's budget. That's what I thought. Okay. This is going to be exciting. It'll be fun. It'll be very, very fun. So you keep watching and we'll keep talking. We'll see you all next time. Thank you.